Brilliant. As has already been said, my name's uh, Sean. I'm part of the leadership here at Harvest Church. And uh, as you can see from the, uh, the PowerPoint, this morning we are basically introducing Galatians. And over the coming months, we're going to be working our way through the book of Galatians. We are not going to be rushing it, so we're not going to be doing it a chapter at a time, but actually we're going to be working through very slowly, looking to see what God wants to uh, tell us through this fantastic and very challenging book. And uh, all our sermons will be recorded, so if you miss one, you can always catch up uh, by listening to it on the website. Now, when we look at one of the letters in the New Testament, which is what Galatians is, we can be come to a point where we feel that we're listening to a one side only of a telephone conversation. Let me give you an example. So the telephone rings in our house and Helen picks it up and she starts to talk to somebody, I don't know who it is, and she starts talking, asking them about their health and maybe how their garden's doing or what the weather has been like where they're living. And up to this point, I'm thinking, could be anybody within reason you know, that she's talking to. I don't really know. And therefore, I can't really put a background to it. Then she suddenly says to me, oh, have you been with many walks with Angus? And that gives me the clue I need. Now, Karen, do you know who Helen's talking to? You haven't got a clue. John, do you know who Helen's talking to? Liz's brother. Liz's brother, Helen's uncle, David. So instantly, I realise, ah, so when she was talking about his health, she was talking about this and this, his garden, his lovely garden. He lives in the Forest of Dean, so you can think there's slightly different weather there. He's got a dog called Angus, and he loves going for a walk. And so it gives me all the background. To, and then the rest of the conversation, as it goes, I'm thinking, I know what she's talking about now. When we look at a book, especially in the New Testament, we need to establish a number of things. We, we call it, uh, part of this is being good hermeneutics. It's an understanding of the the background, um, it may be, who was it from? Who was it to? Where were they living? When did it happen? And what were the reasons for the letter? And if you, if you haven't really grasped a hold of the background of these letters, then you're going to miss out substantially on what God is, wants to say to us through these letters. So... With that in mind, we are going to, I'm hopefully going to introduce you to Galatians. So we're going to start then, very simply, who was it from? So it was from, most of you will know, the Apostle Paul. Now Paul was a very well-educated Jew. He knew the Old Testament scriptures very well. He had been uh, to uh, one of the best universities in the, in the, the world 
in that known world at the time. He uh, had been taught by the possibly the best uh, Jewish teacher at the time. So he knew the Old Testament scriptures very, very well. He was also a Roman citizen, which gave him vast privileges at that time. He spoke Greek, which was the most common language of the time. He was extremely passionate for God. We read about um, his, if you like, his, what he did to the early church in the early chapters of Acts, where he persecuted the early church, thinking that it was uh, blasphemous, that it was wrong. So he had a real passion for God, a desire to serve him. But then he was dramatically converted to Christianity. He, he, on a road to Damascus, when Jesus actually appeared to him and uh, commissioned him to be an apostle. So I'm not going to say much more really about Paul because uh, Anthony is going to be sharing some more next week. And he was very keen that I didn't steal all his thunder this morning. Isn't that right, Anthony? (laughs) But actually, you know, I'm giving an introduction here. What's going to come in the future weeks is going to build on this. It's going to dig in a lot deeper. And so there will be a little bit of overlap, but that's fine because actually it helps us to understand all the more. So we have Paul, who is being called by Jesus to go and tell others about him. And if we're going to just read a short passage of scripture now, which is from Acts chapter 13, verses 1 to 3. So Paul is now at an established church in Antioch in Syria. And could we have the next slide, Joe? Right, I know it's a bit small. We will zoom in in a minute. But at the moment, what, I, what you're seeing here is the arrows dictate uh, the first missionary journey that Paul went on. We're obviously seeing the uh, part of the Mediterranean Sea. So those with good eyesight can make out down near the right-hand corner, just above where it says Arabia, it says Jerusalem, and then heading up the right-hand side where there's a little star and the, the little red line start from, just above Syria, it says Antioch, and that is the church that Paul is at. As I say, we will enlarge on that a little bit. In fact, let's enlarge on it now, please, Joe. Right, so we've zoomed in a little bit. You can see Antioch over there on the right. Again, this is the same arrows, it's just zoomed in a little bit. So we're talking about you know, right at the end there of the Mediterranean Sea. So Acts chapter 13, verses 1 to 3. Now in the church at Antioch there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Now, Saul was renamed Paul. So when we're talking about Paul and Saul, they are one and the same person. While they were worshipping the, worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. So, 
something very, very important to pick out here is this wasn't a whim of two men going off on a missionary journey. Actually, they had sought God and the Holy Spirit had singled them out and sent them off. So God himself had sent Paul, Saul, Paul and Barnabas out to share the gospel. And they head off, as you can see, to Cyprus. And you can read about their, uh, what they did on Cyprus uh, in Acts chapter, well, four onwards really, up to verse 13. So you can read a little bit about what they did. And then having um, spent a bit of time on Cyprus, they then head off north towards the, firstly to Pamphylia and then the region of Galatia. Hence, Galatians. There you go. So, as they head in to Galatia, they visited a number of towns and cities. And you can read about uh, what they did in these different towns and cities in Acts chapter 13, verse 13, through to Acts chapter 14, verse 20. And as you can see... They went to another Antioch. They started off at another Antioch, but obviously it's different to the one they came from, as you can see on the map. Then they went to another town called Iconium. Then they went to a city called Lystra, and then on to Derby. So you can see, and obviously they, they were stopping off in those regions. We're, you know, we're talking about hundreds of miles between those places, so they weren't doing it, you know, walking it in one day, so they'd have been step, going into other possibly villages, etc., etc. Now, especially the cities of Lystra and Derby, they were Romanized, uh, so they had a, a large number of Romans there. They had Greeks and Jews. Now remember Paul's background. He was a Jew, zealous um, and well-educated in the Old Testament. He was a Roman citizen and he spoke Greece. Greek even, <laughs> not Greece. He spoke Greek. So you can see that even when God chose Paul, he chose someone that was going to uh, be able to f work his way into these places. You know, he would fit in, as it were. He would know the language. He would know what's going on. Now, in these towns and cities, if you were, were there, you would have know, noticed that there were many different religions. Uh, there was obviously Judaism. The Jews had brought their religion, their belief in God, and they'd set up synagogues, um, places to meet together and to study God's scripture. But also in these places, there were temples to other gods. So uh, in Lystra, there was a temple to Zeus. And when Paul and Barnabas went there, Paul prayed for someone to be healed. God miraculously healed them. And the next thing they know... The city is claiming that they are gods, that they are Zeus and Hermes um, come to visit. And 
They're about to sacrifice to them. And uh, obviously this, Paul and Barnabas were very distraught about this. But actually you can see that this was, these were very cosmopolitan places. They would have consisted of uh, temples where sacrifices to various and many gods were made. They would have had uh, temples for prostitution. So, you know, it's a, a, a real... Well, it's not like Alton, is it? I hope. But, you know, so actually we need to start to grasp this background. What was going on in these places? What were the issues that Paul and Barnabas dealt with? What were the issues that the early churches had to struggle with? So they were very mixed morals. They were very mixed lifestyle. And what... Paul and Barnabas did is they started by going to the Jewish synagogues. They, they went there on the Sabbath. And what would happen was that actually after the scriptures, these are the Old Testament scriptures that had been read, actually they, as visiting uh, you know, folk, Jews, they would be asked to share anything from where they'd come from, from Jerusalem, etc. And this so was the ideal opportunity. You know, they come into the the synagogue, and there are. So, what can you tell us? And so Paul stands up and he declares the scriptures of Jesus. So he go, works through the Old Testament that is obviously we had just been read some of it and was read on a weekly basis. And through that, he declares Christ. He declares salvation in Jesus. And so we read in those first few books of Acts, Uh, sorry, in in chapters 13 and 14, that many Jews and those who had chosen Judaism accepted Jesus, but others rejected rejected it, rejected him. And so uh, we also read that Paul and Barnabas were uh, threatened. In fact, at one point, Paul is actually stoned taken outside the city and left for dead. I mean, you know, this was a rough place to share a new religion, to, sh- to share Jesus, which was something new and something that many objected to. But they continued and basically what happened was they established a church in each town and city they not only established churches, but they set up a leadership and elders, appointed elders in each one. So when we talk about the book of Galatians, we are probably, though there is a little bit of debate, but I, I believe that we are talking about the churches uh, in Antioch, Iconium, Lystra and Derby and probably little villages as well. Okay, so we've chatted a little bit about Paul. We've looked at the background a bit of what was going on. So the the churches, as you can probably imagine, would have been full of a very mixed group of people with many different life experiences. You'd have had those who uh, had been part of Judaism, so possibly Jews or those who had converted to it. You would have also had 
Gentiles, so those who weren't uh, believers in Judaism, those from many, many different cults, believed in many different gods. They would potentially been, some would have been Roman citizens, some would have been Greeks. And you can imagine, can't you? I mean, the baggage that they must have brought in with them to these new churches must have been incredible. The issues that they brought, their, their, their lifestyles, what they thought was right and what they thought was wrong. I mean, these churches must have been quite a handful to, to try and get a handle on and to teach and to help them to establish a strong... And, and you know, th- these, these are churches set up almost in isolation. It's not like you had another more, a better established church down the road with, with a, a pastor that's been there for 30 years that you could go and talk to. This was, you know, groundbreaking stuff that they were having to deal with and work through. Now, so we then turn our, to the actual letter itself, to the book of Galatians, and it was probably written round about the middle of the first century. And it might have been, again, there's a little bit of argument over this, it might have been only a few months after these churches had been established. So it may have been after uh, Paul has just got back to Syria, Antioch, and he hears uh, reports and issues to deal with, and he writes this letter, or it may have been five or six years later. But it, it, it's quite early on in the lives of these churches, round about the mid-first century. So, what was the issue? What was the reason for writing to these churches? Firstly, I want to point out that Paul wasn't addressing this letter to non-Christians. He wasn't even addressing this letter about non-Christians. He was addressing this letter to Christians, and he was arguing that certain Christians were bringing incorrect teaching. So this was a challenge to the church of issues within the church, not outside the church. Okay, so let's just move on to that last slide. Uh, Thank you, Joe. Okay, so basically what had happened was soon after Paul had planted these churches with Barnabas and gone away, gone back to Antioch, Syria, Jewish Christians, so these are Christians who had previously been part of Judaism, came to these churches and started adding to Paul's teaching. They were essentially preaching what Paul called a new message, a different message, uh, not what he had preached at all. They were called Judaizers, and they believed that a number of ceremonial practices of the Old Testament were still binding 
on the New Testament church, including circumcision. They argued that uh, Paul had removed these legal requirements from the gospel to make it more appealing to Gentiles. They also, not only were they teaching something different to what Paul had taught, but actually they were undermining Paul's authority as well. They were saying, Paul's nothing. He hasn't been commissioned to do this. Don't listen to him. Listen to us. Now, it's interesting that uh, from this, it's possible to glean that the, because the early church was in Jerusalem and the and surrounding countryside and beyond, that it was because it was predominantly Jews who had become Christians, an amount of some of the uh, religion, the Old Testament, had been brought in to the church, and so actually they hadn't dealt with some of these issues to this point. And actually the, the early church did work through or agree with or at least lived with part of their, their religious past. And so these Judaizers come and start to say, actually you're not saved because you're not doing this, this and this. Yes, you have to believe in Christ, but then you have to be circumcised. Then you have to uh, meet on the Sabbath only. You have to not work on the Sabbath. Yeah, so they were taking the laws and the rules from the Old Testament and saying, actually, this is all part of being saved. They were adding the yoke of the Jewish law to the freedom of the gospel. Now, Paul, on hearing the reports, he burns with righteous anger. He is so angry, so upset with what is going on. And we, we, you can, we will see that as we look through the letter to the Galatians, how, how he is burning with righteous anger. And so the letter to the Galatians is his response. As I said, we, we actually see in it his, Paul's passion for the church and how it is being pulled away from the true gospel, the true message. He, not a, he argues also in this letter for his authority in Christ, how he had been called directly by Jesus. That vision on the road to Damascus that Jesus had commissioned him to be an apostle, that he had, Jesus had revealed to him the gospel. And then he reminds the Galatians that they are justified by faith in Christ. Nothing less and nothing more. And that they are sanctified but not by legalistic works, but by obedience that comes from faith in God's work for them, in them, and through them, and by the grace and power of Christ and the Holy Spirit. 
So all these and so much more we're going to be working through and digging into in Galatians. Now, I've got, we've basically, I think Karen sent out in the uh, update this week a little link to the YouTube video, which we saw one for Daniel. We're going to do, going to be showing the one for Galatians now. Paul's letter to the Galatians. It was written to a number of churches in the region of Galatia where Paul had traveled on one of his missionary journeys. You can read the stories in the book of Acts. He wrote this important letter from a place of deep passion and frustration. Here's the backstory. Christianity began as a Jewish messianic movement in Jerusalem, but its message was for all humanity, and so it quickly spread beyond Israel. By Paul's time as a missionary, there were as many non-Jews as there were Jewish people in the Jesus movement, and this sparked a huge debate that we know about from the book of Acts chapter 15. Historically, the covenant people of God were focused in one ethnic group, Israel, and they were set apart by the practices commanded in the Torah, like circumcision of males, eating kosher, observing the Sabbath. And there were many Jewish Christians who believed that for all of these non-Jews to truly become a part of God's family, they needed to obey the laws of the Torah. And so some of these Jewish Christians ended up coming to the Galatian churches. They were undermining Paul and demanding circumcision of all these male non-Jewish Christians. And so many of them were. And when Paul found out, he was brokenhearted and angry. And this letter is the result. He first challenges the Galatians with his summary of the gospel message about the crucified Messiah. He then argues that this gospel is what creates the new multi-ethnic family of Jesus and Abraham. And then he shows how this gospel is what truly transforms people by the presence and power of the Spirit. He opens by expressing his bewilderment that the Galatians have embraced a different gospel. It's the one promoted by these Christians who badmouth Paul and demand circumcision. So Paul first defends the authenticity of his message and authority as an apostle. He was commissioned by the risen Jesus himself to go to the non-Jewish world. Remember the story from the book of Acts. Paul says it was only later that he went to Jerusalem to consult the other apostles like Peter or James. And when he told them he wasn't requiring non-Jewish Christians to be circumcised or eat kosher, they were in full support. But this tension ran deeper. Peter had come to Antioch to visit and see all of these non-Jewish Christians, and he was eating and mingling with them. But when some of this Jerusalem opposition group showed up in Antioch, Peter caved under their pressure. He stopped eating with these uncircumcised Christians, and he was avoiding them. And so Paul confronted and accused Peter of hypocrisy, of not staying true to the gospel. For Paul, demanding these new Christians to become circumcised and Torah observant, it's wrong-headed for all kinds of reasons. First of all, because it's a betrayal of the gospel. Or in his words, people are not justified by the works of the Torah, but rather by the faith of Jesus the Messiah. And we have faith in the Messiah Jesus. To be justified, or literally to be declared righteous, it's a rich Old Testament term for Paul. It's when God declares that someone is in a right relationship with him. They're forgiven, they're given a place in God's family, and they are being transformed by God's grace. And it's Paul's conviction that no one can be justified by observing the commands of the Torah, but only by the faith of Jesus. This is a dense phrase, and it could refer to Jesus' own faithfulness in living and dying on our behalf, 
or it could refer to our own trust and devotion to Jesus. Either way, the point is clear. People are justified only through trusting in what God did for them through Jesus, not by what they do for themselves. At the heart of Paul's gospel is this claim that when people trust in the Messiah Jesus, what's true of him becomes true of them. His life, death, and resurrection become theirs. Or in his words, I've been crucified with the Messiah, and it's not I who come back to life, it's the Messiah living in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so the reason anyone can say that they are right with God or belong to Jesus' covenant family, it's not because they obeyed the laws of the Torah. It's only because of what Jesus did for them that they could never do for themselves. Now, this profound understanding of what Jesus accomplished, it has huge implications for who can now be included in God's covenant family and for what it means to live as a member of that family. So Paul first turns to the stories about Abraham in Genesis, how he was justified or declared righteous before God by simply having faith, by trusting in God's promise that one day all nations would find God's blessing through him and his offspring. God's purpose was always to have one large multi-ethnic family of people who relate to him on the basis of faith, not on the laws of the Torah. But that raises an important question. Why did God give the laws of the Torah to Israel then? Here Paul offers a very brief and dense explanation that he will later fill out in his letter to the Romans. He observes that the laws of the Torah were given to Israel at Mount Sinai long after God's promise to Abraham. And if you read the Torah carefully, he says, you'll see that God always intended the laws to be a temporary measure. He says the laws had both a negative and a positive role. Negatively, the laws acted like a magnifying glass on Israel's sin. They exposed how Israel shared in the sinful human condition, constantly rebelling against God's law. And so the law, which is good, ended up pronouncing Israel guilty and all humanity with them. Or in his words, the laws imprisoned everyone under the power of sin. But the laws also had a positive role. They acted like a strict school teacher that kept Israel in line until the coming of the promised offspring of Abraham, the Messiah. And once the Messiah came, he fulfilled the purpose of the laws on Israel's behalf. Jesus was the faithful Israelite who truly loved God and neighbor. And as Israel's king, he died to take the curse and consequence of Israel's failure into himself and bring redemption. And so now through Jesus, the offspring of Abraham, God's blessing can come to all people, regardless of their ethnicity, social status, or gender. For Paul, requiring Torah observance from non-Jewish Christians, it makes no sense. It's acting as if Jesus didn't fulfill God's promise or deal with our sins. It neglects the new freedom gained for us through Jesus and the gift of the Spirit, and it limits God's promise and blessing to one ethnic family. But, Paul's opponents might argue, the laws of the Torah, they're a proven guide to living according to God's will. How will non-Jewish Christians learn this? Paul responds in chapters 5 and 6 by describing how Jesus' transforming presence through the Spirit is the key. The laws of the Torah are good. They're wise, Paul says. In fact, they can all be summarized, as Jesus did, in the command to love your neighbor as yourself. But the laws, good as they are, they did not give Israel the power to obey them. In contrast, the good news is that Jesus did fulfill the laws on our behalf, and now he lives in us through the Spirit, making his people into new humans who fulfill the law by loving others. 
So Paul goes on to contrast this old and new humanity. The habits of the old humanity are obvious. These are behaviors that dehumanize people, they destroy relationships and whole communities. And while the laws of the Torah prohibited these behaviors, Jesus actually put them to death on the cross. So when a person trusts in Jesus and lives in dependence on the Spirit, his life becomes theirs and produces what Paul calls the fruit of the Spirit. This is Jesus' way of life that he wants to reproduce in his family so that they become people of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. But this fruit isn't automatic, Paul says. It requires cultivation just like real fruit. Or in his words, if we live by the Spirit, we have to keep in step with the Spirit. This requires intentionality. We have to learn how to prune off our old habits and cultivate new ones. And as we do so, we find ourselves carried along by the Spirit as Jesus reshapes our minds and hearts and makes us into people who love God and others. And in this way, Jesus' people fulfill what Paul calls the Torah of the Messiah. In the end, Paul concludes, this requirement for Christians to become Torah observant or be circumcised, it's an adventure in missing the point. What really matters is God's new creation, this new multi-ethnic family of the Messiah, people full of faith in Jesus who are learning to love God and others in the power of the Spirit. And that's what the letter to the Galatians is all about. It's as simple as that. <laughs> Hence, why we are going to be spending a considerable amount of time looking through it. I'm really excited. I think it's an absolutely fantastic book. There is so much in it. And if we can start to grasp a hold of it, it will bring transformation to our lives. It will change us. Um, yeah. In fact, uh, Martin Luther, when he finally worked through and discovered... Galatians kick-started the Reformation in the 1600s. It was such a powerful book. I'm just going to pray, and then I'm going to hand back to Andrew or Pam. Hmm. Father, I thank you for your word, that it is, it is food for us. It, it is all that we need to... It's such a challenge... And Lord, as we, just as looking at that video of Galatians, there is so much has been packed in there. So many wonders, but Lord, so many challenges as well. And I pray that as a church and individually, we would uh, embrace this short book, that we would take it to heart and we would start to live by it, moment by moment, day by day, and that we would be transformed by your spirit into the likeness of Christ, revealing your love to others, your gospel, your message, Lord. Amen.